In our sermon series, as Beth was mentioning, to bear witness is to tell the world about God's love and mercy, about his power and his wisdom. So to bear witness is to testify. We can testify with our actions, we can testify with our speech about who God is. And so I hope that you're seeing through this sermon series that this will help us to recognize God's glory through various people in the biblical narrative. And so as your pastor, I encourage you to bear witness to the character, the nature of God, and to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I hope that you'll sense the Holy Spirit empowering you and equipping you today, that you'll take this message beyond the walls of our church and out into our mission field. Will you please pray with me? Almighty God, I pray that you will open the eyes and the ears of our hearts, that we will see you in a fresh new way, that we will hear your word, just something that we've never quite heard or understood before. And then I pray, Lord, that you will grant us courage, that we will share Christ with one other someone. It is in his strong name that we pray, amen. All right, my friends, so I will tell you that I absolutely love to read. I love to read. And if you asked, what are you reading right now? Well, as a pastor, you're probably gonna expect me to say something about discipleship, something about spiritual formation. And I do, like constantly, I have something theological going. I really, I do read for my career. <laughs> but I also read a variety of things. There's always a cookbook that interests me. Like I am reading a recipe or a method or some kind of kitchen experiment in the science of cooking. I enjoy history. I enjoy biographies and I read those from time to time. But I gotta tell you, like my favorite genre, my favorite is a good mystery. I love a good mystery. Nothing beats that for me. Now for it to be good, it has to be credible, all right? It has to be something suspenseful. If I can figure out the who done it in the first couple of chapters, I'm done, that book's gone. I have to have some intrigue, some surprise. And there's gotta be like a turn of events at the ending and then a little travel is always good in the adventure. So I wanna share with you that the book of Judges in the Bible is a lot like that. It just checks off all the boxes for me. There's intrigue, there's suspense, it builds. There's a turn of events that's unexpected. And the people, the people that God involves and that he empowers in these stories, they are always interesting. And oftentimes the whodunit at the end surprises me. So in biblical history, the book of the judges, the time of the judges, it follows the faithful leadership of Joshua and of Moses before him. And the Israelites, they have finally entered the promised land. And by some victories, the conquered land has been distributed to the 12 tribes. And as a result, we have this loose confederacy, if you will, of tribes or clans. They're no longer nomads and they've settled down into a new way of life. Now, not all of the land east of the Mediterranean Sea has been properly 
possessed by God's people. Some of the pagans are still allowed to live in this holy land. And if the Israelites succumb to their idolatrous influences, then the Hebrew way of life will be lost. Back in his day, Joshua realized these impending dangers. In chapter 23 of the book of Joshua, he says, now vigilantly guard your souls, love God, your God, because if you wander off and start taking up with these remaining nations still among you, intermarry, say, and have other dealings with them, know for certain that God, your God, will not get rid of these nations for you. There'll be nothing but trouble for you. Horse whips on your backs, sand in your eyes, until you're the ones who will be driven out of this good land that God, your God, has given you. Well, just a few generations after the conquest, Joshua's words come back to haunt the new nation. The sleeping giant of pagan worship awakens and prowls the land, anxious to make Israel its victim. Paganism encroaches and threatens Israel. I was telling you, there's some intrigue here. In the book of Judges, we're told repeatedly that Israel does evil in God's sight. For example, they serve the God Baal. And this is the Canaanites' God for fertility. It's fertility for crops, for animals, and for humans. And the Israelites desert the God of their ancestors who led them out of Egypt and instead they take up with these pagan idols and they actually worship them. And oh, this stirs the anger of the Lord. So just as he told them he would do, God allows the plunderers to strip Israel of the good gifts that he has given them. He allows enemy to surround them on all sides. And now, morally and spiritually weak, Israel is easy prey for the land-hungry nations like the Moabites and the Philistines and the Canaanites. And at various times, Hebrew tribes are vulnerable and they cry out to the Lord for help. Each time, our faithful God hears their cries and he raises up a judge. And we might think of this person as a leader or you might think of him as a chieftain for a particular clan or tribe. So God empowers this person, this judge, for a time to organize the 12 tribes and to help them cope with Israel's oppressors. And in the book of Judges, each one of these stories has rebellion and desperation and rescue, and each one reads like a thrilling tale of the unexpected. Today, we look specifically at the story of Judge Deborah and her encounter with the pagan Canaanites. So as we work through Judges chapter four, I want you to watch for human strength, might be physical or mental or spiritual. Watch Deborah and the others in this story, and then especially watch for the divine strength from our God. Deborah bears witness to the strength 
the power, the might of our sovereign God. So let me set the stage. The Israelites have once again done evil in the sight of the Lord and God has allowed them to fall this time into the hands of Canaanite King Jabin. Under his rule, no one travels by major roads. They're fearful of being attacked, of being robbed. So it's a lot safer for you to winding detours and secret paths. Fear governs their public life. The whole community just feels paralyzed and helpless. Further, their commander, the Canaanite commander of the army, Sisera, he has 900 iron chariots. That's a big deal. This is a reminder for us that the Canaanites had discovered the technology of iron. They had iron tools, they had iron weapons. They were embracing this. The Israelites had not yet embraced the technology of iron. They were not as advanced as the Canaanites. So with this overwhelming advantage, the Canaanites cruelly, cruelly oppress the Israelites for 20 years. And the Israelites cry out to God. So let's see how this mystery plays out. Open your Bibles or bring up your Bible app. Look at Judges chapter four. It will also be here on the screen. So we're just gonna work through pieces of it as we go. We'll start at verse four. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of the tribe of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in the tribe of Naphtali. And she said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go, take with you 10,000 men of the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. And I will lead Sisera, the commander of King Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give them all into your hands. And Barak said to her, well, if you'll go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly, I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you're taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. And then we skip down to verse 11. And this is this odd little side note. It's important later though. So let's, let's take a look. It says, now Heber, the Kenite, had left the other Kenites and descendants of Hobab, that's Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zananim near Kadesh. Hmm, hold that thought. We'll come back to that. Picking back up at verse 14. Then Deborah said, to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera, or the Canaanites, into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and his army by the sword 
And Sisera got down off of his chariot and fled on foot. And then starting at verse 17, Commander Sisera, meanwhile he flees on foot, to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between King Jabin and the family of Heber the Kenite. Hmm, more interesting intrigue. Jael went out to meet Sisera, and she says to him, come my lord, come right in, don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said, please give me some water. And she opened up a skin of milk, gave him a drink and covered him up. Hmm, very tricky. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he said. And if someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there? Say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through, the temp- through his temple into the ground and he died. This wild tale is indeed the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So you probably noticed that the judge that God raised up this time is a heroine rather than a hero. The text introduces her unapologetically. It says, Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth. She is the only female judge. She is the only judge who is also a prophet. Here, God uses a strong woman to exercise strategic leadership among God's people. This is beautiful. This is important for us to see because Israel's culture was strongly patriarchal. For Israel to bring her their issues, for her to decide, that remarkably demonstrates respect and honor. And as a prophet, Deborah is a mouthpiece for the Lord. She is faithfully speaking his messages to the people. So let's look at how she bears witness to God's strength and power. First, Deborah actively participates in God's redemptive plan for humanity. She listens to God and she faithfully leads Barak and others to fulfill God's word. We can celebrate her actions, her human strength, because scripture shows this is derived strength that comes from our all-powerful God. There is no strength other than that which God shares with us for moral, spiritual, physical strength. This is important for us to acknowledge today when you consider how our society is so focused on self-sufficiency. Then as a prophet, Deborah speaks God's word. That's, That's what a true prophet does. Speak the word of the Lord as it's given to them. And so as this mystery unfolds and the suspense builds, we see Deborah. She's calling Barak to battle. Like in verse six, she says, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you, go take with you 10,000 men. In the very next verse, she shares God's promises. He says, I will lead Sisera and his chariots and his troops. I will give the Canaanites into your hands. 
further down in verse nine, she shares God's judgment. Because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. The Lord will deliver Sisera into your hands. Oh, to the hands of a woman. Sorry, that messes up the story, doesn't it? Into the hands of a woman. And then Deborah speaks the command from God in verse 14. Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera, or the Canaanites, into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Deborah's mouth overflows with the words of the Lord as the Holy Spirit imparts to her God's wisdom, God's power, his messages, his strength. God raises Deborah up as a judge for this purpose as a prophet. And then finally, in addition to speaking God's word, Deborah also obeys God's word. We see evidence of this because her heart submits to God's revealed plan and specifically to his revealed leaders. So if you consider, God commands Barak to lead out Israel's army as the deliverer of Israel. And Deborah communicates that command. And then she clearly respects him. She embraces his role as God designed it for Barak to lead. But when Barak hesitates to obey, Deborah doesn't belittle him. She doesn't replace him. She helps him. She immediately agrees to go with him as he requests. And she does have to tell him that his hesitation to obey has results, it has consequences. It means that God's gonna hand over Sisera to a woman, to Jael, while I'm here. I know that that part of our story seems pretty violent. But please understand that JL uses the resources that were available to a woman at that time. She's a Kenite, that means she's a Bedouin. They set up tents and they put down tents and they move and they set up tents and so on. That is the responsibility of the woman. The woman had great familiarity with tent pegs and the mallet, that's what they did. They set up the tent and they took down the tent. So while this is rather a gruesome ending, she was using things that she was very familiar with. And our mystery then reveals Jael, a non-Israelite woman, as the agent of God's purposes. Our great God is sovereign and he reigns over all. He accomplishes his purposes with us or without us. And when God's call comes to us, like to Deborah and to Barak, if we speak truth like Deborah, no matter how frightening the enemy might be, God honors that and we bear witness to his strength. And if we have a moment of doubt, like Barak, if we hesitate, we will not hold up God's plans. He'll continue on and he'll achieve his purposes through someone else, like he did with JL. God is looking at us, he's looking at our hearts, men or women, physically challenged or able-bodied, young or old. God is working his purposes out and he's looking for those who will cooperate with him in this work. 
Don't we wanna be part of this story? Don't we wanna bear witness to his strength, to his power, for his glory? I don't wanna hesitate and doubt God's word for us. I don't wanna miss out on the adventure. I want to allow for the mystery of God. And I hope that you do too. The book of Judges is filled with mystery of how God takes some of the most unlikely people and he gifts them and he uses them for his glory. Deborah's strategic leadership, it's unexpected. Barak's hesitation is unexpected. And JL's role here is surprising. Following this victory, the Israelites live in peace for 40 years before the cycle of rebellion continues. Read the book of Judges and see what happens next in this tale of the unexpected. See how God raises up judges like Deborah to bear witness to his strength and his glory and his power. I started this sermon by telling you how much I like to read, how much I love a good mystery. Well, the greatest mystery that we can ever read is the gospel. Jesus actually left heaven. He put skin on and he dwelt among us. And what about when we read the Apostles' Creed? We say he was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. That is part of God's amazing mystery. Jesus dwelt among us, the likes of us, sinners. He performed these miracles of healing, of resurrection, of transformation. That is suspense. In an unexpected turn of events, he was a friend to the friendless. He was hope to the hopeless. That was radical in his time. And our Savior obediently went to death on that heinous cross, bearing all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt. He withstood incredible mockery, rejection, pain and suffering that won so high should be brought so low. And he disappeared from the tomb by the power of God to raise the dead to life. And then he appeared in a locked room to be with his disciples. All of this mystery and more told through the lens of people who were present to witness it all. All of this beyond our wildest comprehension is the greatest mystery ever told. And we're part of the story. We're part of God's redemptive plan as we bear witness to his glory. Our creator God loves us so very much that he hears us when we cry. That even when we're not faithful, he still is faithful to us. That when we think things are hopeless, he is our hope. Our human strength will never save us. Only God's power can save us. Just as Deborah bears witness to God's strength, let's do the same for others. Let's point the way to our Savior. 
Let's be beacons of light from the Holy Spirit sharing the gospel, sharing the hope, and standing firm against the lure and attractiveness of paganism. To God be the glory. Amen. Please pray with me. God of heaven, we thank you for using people like Deborah, for using people like us to proclaim the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus the Christ. We pray for courage that as we step outside the doors of the church, we would share this message. We would be light in the world of darkness. We would have something attractive about us and people would want to know, how do we go on? How do we have hope? Let us be testifying to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.